welcome to Little Bodies, Mighty Hormones, a podcast that delves deep into the world of pediatric weight management and hormone health. Join me, Dr. Rinku Mera, as I embark on a journey to unravel the mysteries of these tiny bodies with enormous potential. Here, I will guide you through the intricacies of nurturing healthy lifestyles, fostering hormonal balance, and empowering our youngest generation to thrive. So whether you're a concerned parent, a healthcare professional, or simply curious about the wonders of pediatric health, you're in for an enlightening ride. Stay tuned for expert insights, inspiring stories, and actionable advice to help our little ones reach their full potential. Let's embark on this empowering journey together. Thanks for joining me. We have a couple of minutes before we start. But I just wanted to thank you for joining me today. This is such an important topic that we're going to be talking about. And I think a lot of our listeners are very interested in hearing from you because this is such a huge need in our community as well. So Dr. Perlisiti is a trained psychiatrist. She was trained in New York and has been exposed to a wide variety of patients. She specializes in the treatment of depression and anxiety. And she has done both adult and child and adolescent psychiatry training programs. So I'm so super excited to have her. She's so skilled in the conversations that we're going to have. She also specializes in the treatment of depression, anxiety, mood disorders, ADHD, and PTSD in children and adults. And I want her to specifically talk to us because we're focusing today on recognizing signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety. And we also want to focus on decreasing the stigma behind these diagnoses, especially in my patients with PCOS and diabetes. And as you know, my focus has been always on recognizing diabetes, treating diabetes, and also doing the same for PCOS. So recognizing signs and symptoms of PCOS in children and adolescents and giving them the treatment that they need. So I think this is a very important topic, and I'm so excited to have Dr. Paralisithi here today. There. Thank you. Thank so you. I think you can go ahead and get started. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about how common is depression and anxiety in youth overall? And then we'll focus on, you know, how common it is in PCOS and in diabetes. Well, um, anxiety and depression are actually the most common conditions that we can see in teens, adolescents and children nowadays. And of course, it has increased significantly after the pandemic particularly in kids with in children and girls or adults and teens girls with PCOS, obesity, or diabetes, we have an increased incidence of anxiety in this population, not only because they are, you know, in the stats of the ages, but they all also manifest other signs, symptoms, and lifestyle that makes them more maybe self-aware of their own self-image or the way they are, they feel different. So they are added factors to these teens that go, that have this type of metabolic conditions because it's not only metabolic silent processes happening in their inside their bodies. There's a lot of external signs and symptoms, particularly school and other areas that in girls make them more aware and more anxious and more, you know, their self-image right. and embarrassed, shame, all those emotions. Right. So 
that adds more into their plate. So yes, it's very common and it's very important, the screening of all these patients when they are with their pediatrician or their endocrinologist right. due to the high incidence right. of mental health issues. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, for our listeners, I think we want to first focus on, you know, PCOS and the diagnosis. And usually they see me first, you know, before I send them to someone like you. But I do see, you know, a high incidence of depression and anxiety in young adolescents with PCOS and in diabetes also. And PCOS really, you know, diagnosis is given in teens when they have irregular cycles or they have signs and symptoms of increased acne or hair growth of their face or places that, you know, we have, you know, young women don't want to have hair. And, you know, the true sign is menstrual irregularity. And then, you know, a large proportion of girls with PCOS have a higher risk of developing diabetes. So I think when they come to me, they already have some of those questions about do they have PCOS? And is this a diagnosis? But oftentimes they come to me already with a lot of anxiety about the diagnosis. Correct. And then once they're given the diagnosis, they really have even more of concerns. And then they have body image issues too. I mean, not all girls with PCOS have issues with weight. Some of them do. (laughs) And that's a big concern for them. So tell me when they come to see you or when I refer them to see you, what types of signs or symptoms are you seeing or what should parents look out for? What are some of the signs that they should say, okay, this is a time that maybe they should talk to somebody rather than trying to manage some of the symptoms on their own at home? So it can be both ways. Usually, most commonly, they already come to me with the diagnosis and usually we already have like a pretty long period of not adjusting to the new changes and just all the new things that they have to learn. So they mm-hmm. have issues processing the diagnosis and all the things that in, that intakes or takes this process. So there's a lot of uncertain, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worries. Remember that every time we get a diagnosis as a parent or possibly an older teen, we immediately will go to Google or to all our immediate right. resources and start right. reading all the tons of information that it's out there that it could be reliable, good information or not real information. So we can get even more confused. Right. So basically during this period of, I don't know what's going on. I got the diagnosis. Most of them don't have the time with their doctor, pediatrician or endocrinologist to go over the whole thing. So they can know what to expect, prognosis, treatments, evidence-based, now scientific like Mm -hmm. it can treat this condition Mm -hmm. so they can feel better. So not having all this info immediately when they get diagnosed, the whole family is going through a stressor and the kid and the family trying to figure it out what to do. In this process, we start learning new information that it could, it is not possible they're knowing everything, you know, mm-hmm. because we now know a new piece of information, but we don't know the rest that comes with that information. We will get even more feel, more fearful and more confused. Same time, we're manifesting the girls, all these external symptoms of cells, so body, but, you know, the acne, the hair growth, all the things that you mentioned. Yeah. So at the same time, we're having a declining self-esteem. So there's so many processes going on. That by the time I get, they get to me, 
there are probable more signs of maybe self-isolation or in the room that's more depression. They tend not to be as talkative or social as before. They are not as communicative with their pack. They are more into themselves, period. And at the Mm -hmm. same time, that's more depression, that decline where they internalize a lot of things. Anger can go up also because mm-hmm. things tend to externalize a lot of their emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, even more when fear of the unknown, it's there. It's like a frustration about ah, and, and just take it out. It's very externalized. But at the same time, going through this dep- depressive mood, decline, the brain, the worries, their thoughts, maybe they're read around there. Oh, infertility. It's a number one mm-hmm. thing in PCOS. Now mm-hmm. at the age of 16, 17, 15, I'm thinking I probably won't be able to be a mom. So I probably won't mm-hmm. be able to be a fulfilled, I don't know, woman, mom, whatever plans, dreams we have. Because at that age, we all have plans and we see our futures. Right. And right. So it brings them down to a point of not having purpose, of being so fearful, of and then we, if we leave these issues to keep going and developing to more complex processes, then it's when comorbidity starts to even increase and come in on board. So these kids that have PCOS and maybe already obese and maybe already with diabetes at some point can develop another metabolic condition as part of a comorbidity or an adding anxiety disorder or yeah. an on top eating disorder, because many of these kids or girls just develop this mechanism of control of their own body saying, I'm going to control what I'm, you know, I'm not going to eat anymore because, or I am, it's a matter of, it's a self, self mechanism for self control, but we are really hurting yeah. ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess, you know, from your, so what you're saying is that I took down some notes. So what you're saying is if we see our teen, girls and sort of we're focusing on teen girls because we're talking about PCOS. But if we see our teen girls who suddenly, you know, start having, or maybe it develops over time, but suddenly have a change in their mood or they start to internalize things that keep more of that to themselves, or sometimes they externalize and they're more angry or they have issues, changes in their eating behavior. Maybe they're not eating as much or Sometimes eating more is com- or, you know, their sleep. We didn't talk about that really, but, you know, important. sleeping too much or having, you know, low energy or low desire to do yeah. things that they thought was important before. Those yeah. are reasons probably to, you know, to be concerned or start having these types of conversations. Correct. Is that right? Okay. And then, you know, from a parent perspective, so I have a teen girl myself and so... Yes. So what do you suggest for parents when they're trying to have some of these conversations with their children? And then when they're actually trying to make an appointment with someone like you or they're referred, because I do think that there is, you know, some stigma around mental health and these mental health concerns. And so how do you recommend parents actually address some of these issues themselves and then convincing their teens to come see a specialist like you. What are your thoughts about that? So for me, it's a step-by-step thing. Okay. So first of all, as a parent of a teen, 
we're not alone. Okay. So we are the ones that knows our teens and we are ones that know their regular behavior. So your doctor won't know, your people around you won't know other Mm -hmm. than your parents being the ones that really notices these changes. Teens as default, they are moody. They will have, you know, days of not sleeping. They will have days, you know, they are just this roller coaster. So you know your child and you know, oh, maybe this is just another whatever. But we need to be able to identify red flags. And those red flags are maybe adding new behaviors that were not there. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, wait, now I'm noticing she's not coming to eat as she used in the family dinner. Or she is staying in her room longer. So things that new behaviors that were not there for, and you start mm-hmm. tracking over time, maybe watching for a pattern or maybe, I mean, you're not looking for worsening behaviors, but you're more on the loop. If there are anything that it's totally off that you say, like, this is not my daughter. This mm-hmm. is not the way she acts, talks, anything. It's just changes. You know, the first step is definitely talking to your doctor, the one that you know, the pediatrician, the person that you trust, period. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not connected yet to a mental health specialist, so we really don't know what to Mm -hmm. do. So we will take the first step of talking to our doctors, sharing our concerns, maybe asking questions if we're not really sure of what's going on. And they might reassure you, oh, that's just normal on their end, or this is not normal, let's move further. They Mm -hmm. might be able to give you resources and send you to a therapist. And Mm -hmm. then through therapy, we might, what the therapist will go over the whole picture, the patient, the family, their lifestyles, their dynamics, everything together. And they can come up with some sort of plan do cognitive behavioral therapy, working on teamwork, education, all those things. And if after a period of time, either symptoms doesn't get better, as we now are going through this therapy and we're learning strategies, skills, and other things, but my daughter's still not there and my daughter's sleep not improving and I'm noticing her sleep is not good and I'm, you know, either not worsening or staying the same, then we move forward, okay? Either we can go to, you know, we can make a full testing, not covered by insurance many times, so it's very expensive. So people usually go directly to the psychiatrist. And then it's the specialist coming in and evaluating all the areas, the things that we tried to approach this problem yeah. And I do have many that comes directly to me without even trying therapy because they see so much severe symptoms that they are just afraid of waiting more. And mm-hmm. then there's a lot of evidence on the effectiveness of both medication and therapy, making mm-hmm. it a little bit faster to reach progress. Mm-hmm. So starting medication, usually we do it a lot, start medication in conjunction with therapy. And then we see that kind of process move on. You know, the symptoms, as we mentioned, can be meta, uh, can be environmental, can be internal, can be genetic, and can be metabolic. Okay, so there are risk factors to have these symptoms from every single area of that patient. Just because we have the PCOS and insulin resistance, but possibly. That makes our serotonin go down. When we are depressed and anxious and we're all over this negativity, our serotonin is down. 
when we are going through different challenges, adversities, all these things decreases our release of serotonin. So having the issue coming from so many angles make it more clinical depression, more difficult. And we really need to treat it from every way. So therapy will take it for mo- for most of the psychological part of it, behavioral part of it. And then all those physiological processes, chemical imbalance and all that, we do it through the medication treatment. Yeah, Usually okay. as and to try to stabilize those levels. But it's a process. Getting to medication for me, we need to try everything else. And we really need to focus on the lifestyle changes, the family, because if there's siblings, if there's, I don't know, grandparents living in that house, or Mm -hmm. so we all need to follow a complete plan so that teen, youth, you know, girl doesn't feel more left out, more different, more ashamed or more embarrassed for having this condition that makes me different. So it's a process, it's long process, But there is good prognosis when we pick it up early and when we intervene on time. And with some support and education resources, everything is much easier. Yeah. So I think, you know, what we're hearing is mainly what we want to focus on is getting the diagnosis early, trying to recognize the symptoms early. And, you know, I focus also on getting the symptoms and diagnosis of diabetes early, getting the symptoms and diagnosis of PCOS early. Because many girls who have PCOS actually have gone to three different doctors before they even get the diagnosis. And like you said, there's a lot of anxiety about what the condition is. What does PCOS mean? And so they don't have someone to talk to about what that diagnosis is. That causes a lot of anxiety by itself. Of course. And so I think, you know, that's part of the focus that I have is focusing on these girls who have, you know, depression and PCOS because it's so common. I've seen it so often in my practice. And, you know, if we switch over, you know, to the diabetes, I mean, if we talk about PCOS and diabetes, there's a large percentage of girls with PCOS who develop type 2 diabetes. You know, I also see girls with type 1 diabetes, young girls. And, you know, that's a little bit different picture, although it is, you know, still a chronic illness. And I see a lot of teen girls with depression um, in type 1 diabetes. And I also see a lot of young girls with both conditions, you know, type one, type two, and with PCOS who have anxiety. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit, and we have, you know, a couple minutes left, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about anxiety and, you know, symptoms of anxiety. I think we talked a little bit about depression for girls, but, you know, a lot of us have anxiety, I think, you know, a lot, and I see a lot of high functioning teens who have anxiety and you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about when is it worrisome and, you know, when is that something that also needs to be referred? And I will, you know, start off by saying that I have seen a tenfold increase in anxiety in kids after the pandemic. Definitely. And I don't know if you've seen the same yeah. thing. So we've seen a lot of increase in anxiety in kids who otherwise didn't exhibit any sign. And so I want to t- spend a little bit of time talking about that because I think that's something that we need to know as parents, what's normal and what's not normal as far as anxiety. And, you know, some kids have school anxiety, they have, you know, different types of anxiety. So I want to focus a little bit at that and, you know, get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, well, I mean, as we said before, anxiety, it's really a, first of all of us have anxiety. It's part of our life. 
So basically, if anxiety becomes a problem, which becomes to for many people, it's re- it's a full blown physiological reaction in our body, and anxiety has it's a family. So anxiety is just a word that means many symptoms, but in the anxiety disorder umbrella, there are many anxiety disorders. So someone can de- manifest general anxiety symptoms here and there, and many kids can develop more specific anxiety disorders. So what would make this anxiety from normal day-to-day anxiety to a stressful disorder anxiety disorder will be the decline and the distress in our body the decline in our functioning over time as a person so this girls so it's just a decline and they start to avoid for example if i'm already in the depressive part of myself image and i feel uncomfortable with the excess hair growth or acne i tend to avoid i tend to be self-aware my thoughts are always going over and over oh my god what people will be thinking about me it's going to be a rumination of negative thoughts increasing for it's like a snowball effect on 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 thoughts so i explain it as a funnel once we have that mini thought in the base of our thoughts and we let that thought to move on and that thought could be the fear of the uncertain what's going to happen i'm not going to have kids i'm going to be like this all my time i'm going to be different always all the thoughts that we come ab- across, it just go into that funnel and then it becomes bigger. And now our body feels heavy. And now we are breathing heavier. And now I feel my chest tight. And now I have some of this in my belly. I feel nauseous of the time. And all this, it's our sympathetic nervous system going off on a simple internal or external stimuli that was processed by our amygdala inside our brain and said, oh, this is a threat. And it could be a tiny little thought like, oh my God, what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah. Only that thought could go there. There's a threat. There's danger. Boom, boom. Hearts start racing. Everything falls apart. When that starts happening often, we start happening distress either at school or our jobs or different places. Mm-hmm. We start developing possible panic attacks. We can develop social anxiety. We can develop so many other comorbidities. That's why we need to start early because right. we don't want any of these symptoms to develop into something more complex. And more complex is the more we believe in this lies in our head, the more difficult will be for us to reverse that. But it's possible and it's possible with very simple things, daily things that we can do that maintain our brain in a positive processing energy-wise, and it helps to rewire. It helps to go into that neuroplasticity again and to make good connections that after this stimuli come back again, now I process it and I can say, hey, this is just a lie. There's no threat here. So you start controlling better your reactions, your behaviors, but this is a process and this is through many different modalities of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, even coaching, different types of, of skills and strategies that we can learn from different symptoms that if we take it from the bottom of the problem and we said, no, that's a lie. I'm not going to let you go off hard. I'm going to take control. 
And we can do that through breathing. Yeah. So right. it takes a lot of education and things to start getting that awareness. But we can get that control and that will prevent us to keep making it be bigger and to develop into more, more complex processes. So that, that's the beauty of taking care of yourself and self-care habits, lifestyle changes, all those activities to avoid yeah, so, complications. Right. So- Right. So for anxiety, you're, I mean, I guess if I'm, you know, hearing you, but you're saying that a lot of times it is our thoughts that are sort of overtaking what are overtaking things. And then it results in our body having these signs and symptoms. So, yes. you know, having increased heart rate or having, you know, nausea or vomiting or belly feeling, feeling dizzy. Yeah. So all these signs and symptoms are coming from, you know, those feelings of having, you know, not of anxiety or having those thought processes. And I guess what you're saying is that we need to control our thought processes. Yeah. And so at, at what point do you have these signs and symptoms? Say they, you know, go to cognitive behavioral therapy or they do some, you know, the behavioral therapy for a period of time. And how long is that before you think, you know, they need medication to control some of these symptoms? Because I have some patients who are not going to school, for example, because they have, you know, some of these medical conditions or just in general, overall, there's other, you know, issues in the home that are going on. And so at what point do they need, you know, medication and, and how long do they need to do cognitive behavioral therapy before you consider medication? Or is that something that you do all at once? And there's no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Depends on each family, depends on each case severity. If I want to start with therapy and I refer them to a therapist, they will have a treatment plan with that therapist. However, usual average ideal should be weekly to wait 12 weeks of weekly therapy, three months, basically. It could be longer. It could be shorter, depending on clinical response. But usually it's based on the impairment and decline in the functioning of that teen, either at school, at home, in their overall So the more severe, the more medication is indicated. There are parents that sometimes are struggling with not severe concerning behaviors, but their persistent behaviors that has led to a decline in some sort of functionality. So we also consider medication there. Mm -hmm. Um, There are comorbid, you know, so many comorbidities that we need to identify and treat. If there is a kid with, let's see, ADHD, for example, PCOS and diabetes, we have to treat that too, because that will also increase the anxiety and frustration of not controlling those symptoms. So again, it's a very complex thing and every case is different. But um, yeah. When we get to the medication stage of it, and now we decide to go to medication, we go through everything, risk, benefits of treatment, what, you know, and usually benefits should outweigh the the risk so we can actually go safely into that option. And treatment can be as short as nine months, six to nine okay. months. If good, stable, great case, successful treatment, usually after nine months, we are already discussing about discontinuation of med. Okay, good. But when something more chronic, persistent, and severe usually goes longer, and it depends on each case. There's no specific term. It could be years. Some people have real true chemical imbalance that needs that replacement. 
all the time, like a diabetic needs mm-hmm. their insulin, right? Mm-hmm. So some kids, some people have chronic long-term treatment on meds. Others yeah. learn how to cope and control their issues or symptoms through strategies and skills that they learn through therapy or through life in general, through yeah. group, through support, through others. And they learn how to maintain a kind of a good, average, normal life. Yeah. So there is a way to feel good in control and balance. I don't think perfection and happiness is 100% yeah. ever. That's a state right. of mind. Right. So, right. you know, but we can actually th- see things in a different attitude and perspective. And if we really look into the positive, we will find many. So yeah. it's help. It's don't take all this to yourself and look for help and support because there's many out there. Okay, good. Thank you so much. I think that's a good point yeah. to say, you know, because sometimes my patients say if I go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, am I going to have to do this forever? And I think it sounds like, you know, maybe, but maybe not. And so I think that's important for them to know that maybe, you know, this is something that will be a short term mm-hmm. issue. But there may be something else that you uncover that re- requires lifelong therapy. And that's okay. I mean, that's okay. As long as they're feeling better and their mental health is good. I think that is, that is fine. Yeah. Yes. So I, you know, I really appreciate your time. I think, is there anything else that you wanted us to know? Otherwise, I'll let people know where to find you. No, I mean, the only tip to anyone who is watching is like, you're not alone. And please just ask if you have a question, if you're on, you know, if you have any doubt about your teen or your teens has any concern or question and they don't understand something, call your doctor. Talk to someone that can give you the right information so we can feel better about what is there. But if we look into just offs and looking into the internet like that, we're going to get, it's going to be not a happy camper there. So it's going to be, oh my God, a lot of worse. So do it right. Call your dog or not alone and always, you know, ask for help. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Paralisithi, like I said, you know, is the owner and CEO of Psychiatry Boutique PLC. Yes. She is located in Florida. And how can people find you if they need to talk a little bit more? So I have my website. It's www.psychiatryboutique.com. My email is dr.p, Dr. P, at psychiatryboutique.com. And I have Facebook and the Instagram page, which is Dr. P underscore at Psychiatry, Psychiatry Boutique. Okay. And, and what else? I have LinkedIn too. Um, Mariel Paralitesi Morales, MD. And I think that's it. Okay, great. So we'll post some of this, these links for, for our listeners. But I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. This is a very important topic. And I think our goal is just to have increased awareness. And decrease stigma regarding mental health. I think it needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed early is the message that we're getting. And the other message that you gave our listeners was if there's anything that is not just, you know, how your teen is or how they act, how they normally act, that's, you know, a time to just start thinking about it and talking to your doctor about that. So I think those are all very important points. Well, thank you. Disclaimer, the information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and information purposes only. 
the content is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it based on information shared on this podcast. The host, guests, and creators of this podcast do not endorse or promote any specific treatment, product, or medical institution. Reliance on any information provided by this podcast is solely at your own risk.